Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Happy Bathurst 1000 week listeners. The countdown is on to Aussie Motor Racing Christmas with the 60th running of the great race to take place this coming Sunday. We'll have a full preview of the 2023 Bathurst 1000 coming up on the pod. The four teams are sweating on a pre-Bathurst 1000 parity adjustment with a bunch of 3D printed tweaks to the front bar ready to be fitted to the Mustangs. The changes are yet to be approved by Supercars, though, amid stiff opposition from General Motors and Triple Eight. Supercars head of motorsport Adrian Burgess has been stripped of his driver's license after being found guilty of drink driving by a Gold Coast court last week. The question marks continue over the Newcastle 500 next season with some less than positive noises coming from the council after the New South Wales government backed the return of the event. Approval from the council was needed for a new one-year deal to go ahead and talks for a longer-term deal to continue. Murmurs of speculation over Premier Racing's 2024 driver lineup have been put to bed with the team confirming that Tim Slade and James Golding will continue next season. And Triple Eight has signed a fresh three-year co-naming rights sponsorship extension with energy drinks giant Red Bull. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who has beaten me to Bathurst and is already sitting eagerly trackside, probably on a bounty of buried booze, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, we know it's a big race when you're there on the ground. How are things at the mountain? Hello, Andrew. It's uh, pretty hot and sunny here at the moment, mm. but it should uh, cool off a little bit before you get here tomorrow. But I've just arrived here at the track this morning and actually parked myself in the commentary box on Pitt Strait wow. uh, to do this pod while uh, the teams are unloading their trucks uh, below. That is very, very exciting. Make sure you've got your high vis on if you're wandering around the paddock then, if the tailgate's uh, down. Yes, I was actually talking to Garth Tander this morning. He mentioned it was about 30-odd degrees there today. Um, so that's definitely... Um, Pretty summary. We've got a chat with Garth coming up later uh, in the pod. Let's crack into our preview of the great race. As usual, we're going to run through a few tiers of contention, five pairings that are, are our outright contenders, five pairings that are best of the rest, which means potential winners that will need something to go their way, and then five pairings that make up a third tier where even more luck is required for them to get up and win. Then we'll tackle some of our burning questions. So let's get stuck into the outright contenders. These are the cars we think can go to Mount Panorama and win the race on nothing but outright speed. Here's my five, Stefan, and I think four of them are pretty self-explanatory, and they are Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup, Shane Van Gisbergen and Richie Stanaway, Brody Kostecki and David Russell and Will Brown and Jack Perkins. It's just so hard to bet against those four cars based on what we've seen so far this season. 
I'd almost have them in about that order of favoritism as well based on what we saw at Sandown. Now, picking a fifth for this tier is kind of hard given the question marks over parity. I mean, right now, as we record this on Tuesday morning, we don't necessarily know what the front bars on the Mustangs will look like over the weekend or what effect any changes, if they are approved, may have. I mean, as it sits right now, there are there are changes to the front bar that have been basically manufactured. They're 3D printed parts that can be fitted to the existing front bar. Ford is pushing to have them approved by supercars. Supercars has shown some interest in doing that, but it doesn't seem that clear cut. It actually needs to be greenlit by Triple Eight and Chevrolet and General Motors as well for it to go ahead because we are outside of an official parity review. And I'm just not sure they're going to get that approval. It's all a little bit messy at the moment. Things could change very quickly, and we'll, there needs to be some sort of answer, you know, by Wednesday. Um, but you know, as we sit here, we don't really know what spec those Mustangs are going to be. So judging where they might be in the pecking order is incredibly difficult. At the same time, there are some amazing drivers in Fords that would usually be seen as genuine contenders. We just don't know if the Mustang is actually going to be up for it. So. To make my five of my top tier, I'm going to go with Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth. I know WAU had an absolute shocker at Sandown, but I keep uh, keep thinking that, you know, on more occasions than not, it's been Chaz that's been able to drag a result out of that car this season. Uh, And we know that Lee is just absolute quality. This may be a tip that comes back to bite me, but it's where I'm going. Stefan, who are your top five outright contenders? Well, I think with uh, all of that in mind, the way we sit at the moment, I've just I've got to break your format already because I think I've only got four cars in my top five, and then a bit of daylight after it. Those four mm. Camaros you've mentioned, just all the form this year suggests they're in a league of their own. Yeah, and uh, I think based on based on all that, the winner should come from from one of those four. But as you say, it's such a strange build up to the race, such a strange position to be in right now, two days before practice and not knowing what the spec of the Mustang is gonna be. So yeah, very unusual situation. Yeah, look, I'll, I will let it slide this time. I, um, I'm i not gonna make you follow the rules too hard because this is a very abnormal season. Let's put it that way. Um, Let's move on to our second tier, our best of the rest. You know, these guys wouldn't be shock winners by any stretch of the imagination, but we'll need a few things to go their way. I reckon we might see a few of those fancied Ford pairings here. Stefan, you can have first crack at this. Give us give us your five that slot into your second tier. Yeah, there's plenty of Fords in this next group for me, starting with the, the Mostert Holdsworth car that you already mentioned. I think the next obvious guys are Cam Waters and James Moffat for Tickford, David Reynolds and Garth Tanner for Groves, and then Anton Di Pasquale and, and Tony D'Alberto in the Dick Johnson Racing, number 11. And then probably also to make five here, the Andre Heimgartner, Dale Wood, Brad Jones Racing, Camaro. As we, as I said just before, like the form says, those top four Camaros are favourites, but Bathurst is a more flowing, tail and bend style track than, than say, Sandown where we just were for the last round and the Mustangs are really good at tail and bend. So who knows, regardless of the changes, they could be speedy again, but it's just a more of a factor of whether they're quick enough in the right places around the lap to outrace a Camaro. I think that's a pretty big question and that's why those guys are all down here in my sort of second tier of contenders. 
Yep, that is absolutely correct. Like it's uh, my my second tier is pretty similar. Obviously, I did uh, I did take the brave pills and stick Chaz and Lee <laughs> in the first tier. So uh, the only difference I've got, I stuck uh, James Courtney and Zach Best uh, into this second tier as well. Um, the rest of mine are exactly the same as yours. It sort of feels weird, like having Cam Waters, who's been so strong at Bathurst the last few years and always in the mix, and has that you know uh, you know a great co-driver in James Moffat to not have him in that top tier. Uh, and to have a pair like David Reynolds and Garth Tander and not be able to put them in your absolute tier of outright contenders. But that's just where we're at at the moment. I think we could see plenty of these Fords make the shootout. Like it could be a bit like Sandown sure. where, you know, you sort of go, well, there's these guys and they, they're, they're quick enough to be in the shootout. But, yeah, it's just going to be about, well, firstly, tie life, which has been an issue all year. But then if there is this drag issue and this straight line issue, yeah, are you just going to be a sitting duck while you're out there in the, you know, in phases of the race where you're you're running against Camaros? That's going to be um, quite interesting. The, the fact you've put the Courtney best combination in there is quite interesting for me. I was really excited about this pairing when it was announced earlier in the year, but I've sort of just felt James hasn't been quite as sharp lately as he was at the start of the season. And, and Zach had that big struggle at Sandown. He seemed to be caught a bit by how different the Gen 3 is compared to the Super 2 car. And he's again going to have to go between both of those cars this weekend and then also they're one of those pairings that like surely they're going to have to double stack at some point in the race for them it's behind the monster car so yeah there's a few things that uh, are sort of question marks there but at its heart it is a good pairing so uh, yeah interested yeah. to see that you rate them quite highly well that's you know all what i'm going off there is that you know this is bathurst and when you've got someone as good as james courtney on that big stage you know you you i guess that opens the door for him to do something special and you know zach's He's kind of running out of chances to make that step to the main game if if it's going to happen. We know it's not going to happen. Well, we're fairly sure it's not going to happen next year. Um, but he really needs to use this stage to show that he uh, he is a guy that should be considered, you know, as someone ready for that promotion. Because otherwise, there's kind of this next wave of your know, Ryan Woods and Kai Allens and you know some really good drivers in Super Two at the moment that could sort of overtake him and end up in the uh, in the main game, and he might just kind of miss out so you know I think he's kind of been given a shot with JC here you're right they are going to have to double stack at some point you know I mean they sneak into the into the into the second tier they could easily be in the third tier but you know there's just a little bit at stake for those guys so you know I guess it's a it's an interesting opportunity for them to try and do something spectacular so that's sort of how they made the cut based on my thinking um, I think you know we spoke yesterday while we were doing our pre-brief this is actually harder than it's been because of the question marks over the Mustang and the weirdness of Gen 3 and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I guess it's uh, it's maybe not a completely conventional choice, but that's sort of where I landed. Yeah, the other thing from this group of cars, I think um, that we both mentioned, that David Reynolds, Garth Tander car, I just really hope we see something good from the Groves this weekend. It's been yep. this team that through its whole history back to Kelly Racing that has just had such fluctuating form and they started this year really well and then they had a real lull in the mid-season and then the Bend was a real standout in particular for Matt Payne but then both cars at Sandown were very good so yeah there's so much promise there. I just love to see them come and deliver on that at such a big stage regardless of the, the parity stuff just just as a team to have fast cars and execute the race well. I'd love to see those guys get a result. Yeah, I was, I was going back through our notes from our Bathurst preview last year and, um, you know, in my notes was the point that, you know, like 
you just never know where they're going to land on car speed <laughs> and not much has really changed. You know, we've got we've got a whole new car and all this stuff, but they're still kind of one of those teams, you know, along with teams like Team 18, for example, where you just never quite know where they're going to land on car speed. It could be either end of the grid and neither would be a massive a massive surprise. Um, speaking of surprises, let's move on to our third tier. It's five cars that could win but would definitely need some cards to fall their way and would be a bit of a surprise. Um, so my five here, speaking of Grove Racing, Matt Payne, Kevin Estra, uh, Craig Lowndes, Zane Goddard, Thomas Randall, Gary Jacobson, Mark Winterbottom, Michael Caruso, and Will Davison and Alex Davison. I was super impressed by Kevin Estra at Sandown. Wouldn't be surprised if he's quick at Bathurst again, although it will clearly be a bit stern a test for a guy with very little supercars experience and no Bathurst or very little Bathurst experience. Yeah, so he did the 12-hour, didn't he? Has he done the 12-hour before? Yeah, he has. So at least yeah. he's, uh, he knows yeah, which so way the track goes. Does have some Bathurst experience. Uh, the Davisons may be a little far down our list of tiers, but there's just so many question marks over DJR's form at the moment, and we probably haven't seen – that much spectacular sort of stuff from Davo this season. So that's why I've sort of put them down there, even though that would normally, again, be a very highly rated pairing heading to Mount Panorama. Stefan, who makes your third tier? Yeah, again, I've got a pretty similar group here. The only difference is I have the Jack LeBrock, Jaden O'Jada, Matt Stone Racing, Camaro in there instead of Lowndes and Goddard, which, yeah, it's sort of a tough call but between either either, but I think Jack's carried such good form through this year and it just seems a bit rough to leave him and MSR out of this entire conversation. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've got those guys in there. Yeah, that's fair enough. That, that, that's probably fair. I, it's just It was just based on Sandown, and we know Triple Eight does well at Sandown, but those Triple Eight Camaras just look like such a great car to have at Sandown. I sort of struggled to... Um, to leave Lowndes and Goddard uh, out of that sort of tier just because they just, yeah, kind of looked the goods at Sandown, really. I mean, 10th place, it was a pretty good result for a wildcard entry. Yeah, and again, that car's going to be a really interesting story to follow. We've all all heard and, and seen the Zane Goddard stuff from what happened last year with that early crash, and he's got this opportunity in a triple eight car. He should be the lead driver in that car in terms of qualifying it and everything like that. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how he goes on the one-lap speed. He didn't really execute the Sandown qualifying like he wanted to, but as you say, they were strong in the race. So it would be no surprise at all to see those guys cruise into the top 10 during the race. Let's shift to our burning question, Stefan, and start with the Wildcard Cup. I've got the Lowndes Goddard car in my third tier, as we just discussed, because of the current speed of those AAA Camaros. So I think that will be the lead wildcard. Stefan, where do you see the BRT car of Aaron Love and Jake Kostecki and the DJR car of Simona Di Silvestro and Kai Allen shaking out in the, in the sort of overall picture over the weekend? Well, that's kind of a, a tough one to know, but I feel like both of them will probably qualify in the 20s and essentially be racing to stay out of trouble you know the old story of just stay on the lead lap and see where that gets you in the end like it's a pretty big ask for them to do more than that i think especially the brt car like that team is a little stretched running one car at times yeah and they they've got three here at bathurst including the super two car i do think aaron love is is a big talent but it is his first time here in a supercar and for jake kostecki probably just has to make sure he sees a bit less of the scenery than he has at Bathurst in the past. With the DJR car, I'm really interested in that one. Who do you reckon qualifies that car between Simona and I was and just Kyle? thinking that. 
I was just thinking that and thinking we probably should have spoke about this. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I I honestly don't know. That is that is very very interesting. Obviously, you know, you've got that wealth of experience that is Simona, but then you've got you know Kai Allen who's showing all the signs of being the real deal. He's going to be getting plenty of laps uh, between the Super Two car and the wild card car and yeah that that's an interesting proposition as to who ends up qualifying that car that's for sure who who do you reckon will end up doing it it's it's just as as you put it there like simona's done like five bathurst 1000s before that's a lot of experience that mm. that kai doesn't have but yeah he's he's in even though it's a previous gen of supercar he's He's in these cars a fair bit. He, he might be a little bit sharper than Simona and, and potentially DJR might want him to experience the, the green tyre and the whole process of qualifying just in his learning curve as well if they've got bigger plans for him down the road. But, uh, yeah, no doubt, just like we will, the team will see how those two go in practice and uh, figure it out from there. Fascinating stuff. Um, Unlike last year, we've uh, we've already had a bit of a taste of the co-driver cup because we've had the Sandown 500 and we've seen these guys uh, in action. But Bathurst is, you know, that's where you really want to see your co-driver step up to the plate. So let's pick our co-driver to watch for 2023. Uh, my co-driver to watch is David Russell. You know, he's done a great job at Bathurst the last couple of years, but going there to partner the series leader in one of the fastest cars in the field brings a new pressure. There were hints at Sandown that he's definitely up for it, but Bathurst is a, a different stage, a different occasion, a bigger stage and a bigger occasion. Um, so, you know, this is going to be another test uh, for Dave, not one that I'm not expecting him to pass, but just a fascinating position uh, for someone like him to find himself in where he's basically going to be up the front and he's helping fight a genuine championship battle for somebody. So that will be fascinating for me. Stefan, who's your co-driver to watch? As always, there's just so many great stories among the co-drivers. It's it's why I think a lot of us love these endurance races so much, but particularly Bathurst. Um, so, yeah, that's a great choice there with Dave Russell. I'm going to go pretty left field with mine. I'm really keen to see how Jackson Evans gets on this year. It's, it's going to be hard for him to shine in the race. He's, he's sharing the number four car with Jack Smith, so it's not going to be a front-running contending car by any stretch, but um, just to track the individual performance there with Jackson. It's his second year as a co-driver, and he did a really neat little job at Sandown. He was in the top 10 in the co-driver session on the Friday, and he moved steadily up the order from where the car started in the race. And, you know, like Kevin Estra at Groves, I think Jackson's an interesting barometer of how an international GT ace goes in one of these Gen 3 cars. Yep, that will definitely be interesting to watch. And it's, you know, obviously it's just fun that we get these co-driver only sessions, particularly at Bathurst, to sort of see where people really shake out. Um, Bathurst rookies. We had six in the field last year. We've only got three this year. Kevin Estra, Aaron Love, and Kai Allen. Who's going to wow us on debut at the mountain, Stefan? Well, I think it's impossible to go past Kevin here, given what he did at Sandown in that Grove car alongside Matt Payne. Sort of covered it off before. Bathurst is obviously going to be a bigger challenge driving-wise than Sandown, but he does have some track knowledge, which should give him half a chance. And again, he's just just a great storyline. And, and being a co-driver rather than a wild card, he's got more of a chance of running near the front in his stints, I think. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely the case. It is very hard to go past um, 
Kev, there, you know, the, the great thing is that all three are exciting, you know, and we've got Aaron Love, who we expect to be in the main game next season in a BRT car. We've got Kai Allen, who's on this development path with DJR and, you know, may well be in the main game there by 2025. So, you know, there is genuinely things at stake for these guys and they've got something to learn and they've got something to gain by going out there and doing a really good job. So uh, it's a smaller rookie field than last year, but certainly a high quality and rather exciting one. Speaking of young drivers, it's a packed support card as usual. So let's highlight what we are looking forward to watching outside of the main game over the weekend. Uh, I have to say I found Super 2 to be must-watch this year, and this weekend won't be any different. You know, a lot of the star drivers aren't in the 1,000, so, you know, this is where we'll get to see how, you know, the likes of Ryan Wood and Brad Vaughan and Zach Bates go. Um, for guys like Ryan Wood and Zach Bates, it's actually their first taste of the mountain in supercars, hardware. You know, Brad Vaughan, he was there in Super 3 last year. But, um, you know, it, it's just going to be – Interesting to see how all of these guys go with this kind of, you know, fairly decent little title fight going on. Um, are going to go uh, on the big stage in those Super 2 cars. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Stefan, I'm going to assume you're going to say sports sedans when I ask you what you're most looking forward to because you've brought it up a few times this year. Is that the case? I'm glad I'm at least uh, predictable. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I love Super 2 as well. That's going to be great. But it is the first time the National Sports Fan Series has run at the Bathurst 1000 since 1992. So it's going to be really cool to see cars like the Riccadello Alpha and the John Gourlay Audi out there. And it's a decent-sized field. So, yeah, I just hope they get through some clean sessions and don't have too many red flags and then safety cars in the races and all that sort of thing. Well, I flagged it at the top of the show. I did grab Garth Tander for a chat about... His luckless debut in a Ford at Sandown a few weeks ago and what he expects from the Bathurst 1000 this weekend, and here's what he had to say. This is your first Bathurst in a Ford. You've had your first supercars race in a Ford. Was it kind of, was it weird at all, or once you just get in the race car and drive out on the racetrack, did it just feel like just Garth Tander being a race car driver? Yeah, it didn't feel any different sitting in the seat, pulling the gear stick and steering the steering wheel or pushing the brake pedal. It felt... No different. And given that it's realistically completely different, whether I was driving a Mustang or I was driving a Camaro, the bigger difference is Gen 2 car to Gen 3 car. So realistically, it felt more I was driving a Gen 3 supercar that happened to be a Ford rather than anything else. So um, I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. A few fans um, were probably giving it more thought than I did. But, you know, we know that's the case given the tribalism of the sport. You didn't really get too much of a chance to uh, to experience a Gen 3 race car over a race distance, but what are your sort of thoughts of those cars? There's a few guys that, you know, have been around for that bit longer that talk about how they do kind of have a similar feel to some of the, you know, supercars of the late 90s and that sort of stuff. What's your take on that? Oh, I reckon those guys that are saying that are, are just making it up because I can't remember what a yeah, right. supercar <laughs> in the late 90s felt like in reality. <laughs> yes, yes, they had no grip. Yes, they weren't as technically advanced as what the cars are now, so therefore they probably had less grip and less aero. But, um, yeah, look, in reality, um, they're, they're different to drive. They're a challenge to drive because if you think about those cars from the late 90s to, to where we ended up last year with the Gen 2 cars, every year the cars got better. They got better, yeah. whether they got better technically, they got better from a suspension point of view, or they just 
got more aero and we know the car's just got more aero over the journey so the car's got better and better to drive more and more grip faster and faster to drive so this is the first time ever in my career and so that's 25 years that we've actually genuinely tried to make the cars more difficult to drive and slower so you have to adjust your mindset uh, and the way that you drive the car so yes that they're different to drive from that point of view and where the real challenge is, is the brake pedal feels the same, the gear stick feels the same, the engines feel very similar. So all your inputs and all your touch points feel the same as the previous car. So your muscle memory, is very it tricks you into thinking you've got just as much grip as you did in a Gen 2 car. So that's where I think a lot of the challenge comes in for the more established drivers is to adjusting your muscle memory to take into account the lack of grip that a Gen 3 car's got to what we've had in the past. It's a shame you didn't get through Sandown because you guys were sort of the you know the best placed of the of the Mustangs at the time. Do you have any sort of read on where you might have shaken out in that race if it hadn't been for you know a freak wheel nut failure? No, no. I mean, you can't you can't project forward after twenty laps what it might have taken place after after one hundred and sixty one laps. So all we can take from Sandown is that we're the fastest two cars in the warm up. Uh, we were predominantly the fastest two Mustangs when we had two cars in the race. Uh, and for our car in particular, we were the lead Mustang when we had that issue. And the car was very good and we were looking good from a tyre, wear and conservation point of view. And we proved that with Matt's car in the later in the race as well. So um, all we can take from Sandown for Dave and my car is that we got ourselves into a really strong position and the team car backed up what we felt that we would have been able to do. If not, you know, we would have been a chance for a podium, I feel like. Uh, Kevin Estra um, sort of raised a few eyebrows with how quick he was in what was his first supercars race. You obviously would have been on the inside and seen some data and that sort of stuff. Were you impressed with how he went as a rookie in these cars? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely impressed, but not surprised. Yeah. Um, because you, you don't. You don't become a Porsche factory driver that then gets selected to be put in the Penske organisation as a Porsche factory driver for no reason. So, um, so yes, there was some calculated risk involved with hiring uh, an international driver, given that there hasn't been a whole lot of success for international drivers in the past. But if you look at Kevin's resume and the research that the team did around Kevin prior to engaging him, he delivered in spades what he was capable what we what we knew internally he was capable of doing. Um, and even on the first test day, I said to Couchy, I said, mate, this guy by lunchtime will have it dialed, no problems. And, and he yeah. did. Within, within three hours of running, he had it dialed on his evaluation day. And the second half of his very first day in the car, he was doing evaluation work for us for the race car. So... Um, yeah, no, he, um, he did what we knew he was going to be capable of doing. Um, I think the important, the, the, the thing that was impressive more so was the way that he adapted and learned the tyre conservation stuff. Yeah. Um, he was, um, that was really, he sort of closed loop learning in the race was, was pretty impressive to watch. You've sort of come through your first full race weekend, you know, with Grove Racing now. You've obviously been involved in all the testing and, and sort of with a lot of aspects of the team through sort of mentoring Matt this year. I mean, people sort of talk about it being AAA to the south, but just because of some of the personnel that are there. Can you sort of see 
Can you see some similarities or can you see similarities in the ambition of that team now Now you've sort of come through your first race weekend and really got an idea of what it's about there? Oh, well, not so fast about noticing any similarities to anyone because if you try and impersonate someone or something, all you're ever going to be is as good as what you're impersonating. So we have no ambition to be only as good as any other team in the sport. Our ambition is to be the benchmark team in the sport. So... Um, I unfortunately going out of the race meant that we didn't be able to execute the race for our car for Dave and myself, but it did give me an opportunity to watch the team more closely from inside the garage. And I thought they executed the race really nicely. Um, and over the course of the weekend, we executed very well from a performance point of view because our cars weren't particularly great on Friday. Um, and like I said, by the time we got to Sunday, we were. You know, we had some serious pace um, in, you know, obviously the warm-up and the race. So um, the team executed well. Um, are we where we want to be as a team yet? Uh, not even close. So there's a, still a long way to go as far as how we want to continue to develop the team and um, and bring the team forwards further. So, um, you know, our results on track probably don't look as shiny um, as they should, but we feel, you know, what we're doing with the team and what we're doing personnel and infrastructure is all heading in the right direction. It's a bit of a weird build-up for Bathurst this year for the four teams, I guess, just because of the question marks over the parity of the cars. But, you know, have you still got some confidence that you can get a result at Bathurst and do you still get excited when you rock up, you know, to Bathurst on race week? Oh, I still get excited when you roll up to Bathurst regardless whether you're driving a race car or not. So um, it's just that place. It's very, very special um, in the hearts of anyone that's involved in motorsport, uh, particularly here in Australia. So uh, you're very, very excited about the race. Um, as far as all the parity stuff goes, um, as a driver, you don't get involved in any of that. Uh, just focus on your own performance and focus on making sure that our package is as good as it can be with what we have, whatever we have. Whether we've got the wing on upside down or backwards or whatever, that doesn't matter. What we want to do is make sure that we make the package as competitive as it can be. And if we do that, then we've executed as good as we can. And that was our mindset going into Sandown, and that worked reasonably well. Um, whatever package we have this week, um, we need to make sure that on Thursday, Friday and Saturday we execute as well as we can to make that car as good as it can be for when we start the race on Sunday. Well, let's finish off our Bathurst discussion with our tips, Stefan, our outright winner and a roughie. My outright winner is Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup. They will be quick. And Feeney is kind of in a points position where there's no real reason for him to be super conservative. You know, if he wants the title, he probably needs another win at Bathurst to really make sure he's keeping the pressure on Brody Kostecki. And my roughie is pretty similar last year, except this time it's David Reynolds and Garth Tando rather than David Reynolds and Maddie Campbell. Stefan, who have you got? You've got uh, two pretty strong choices there. I do think as hard as it is to split those top Camaros, it is impossible to go against Brock and Jamie being the favourites, especially after what we saw at Sandown. So... I think uh, that's the go for the win. As for the roughie, I'll lob Chaz and Lee in there because I do think they're a bit of a roughie. And who knows, at Bathurst, they could 
Paul Ford's entire season out of the fire by uh, having just enough pace and executing the race better than anyone else. Last bit of Bathurst news. Don't forget to check out the V8 Sleuth store on site during Bathurst week. If you're at Mount Panorama, you can buy some books and the official Bathurst 1000 program there. And the Castrol grid cards are back as well with a pick of each car in grid order along with driver names and qualifying time. So make sure you grab one of those from the BP activation in Merch Alley on a race morning. Well, Stefan, it's time to play some What Caught My Eye on My105.com. And I'm going to tell you what caught my eye on My105.com. I've decided that after last week, I'm going to start collecting oddball rally cars, right? So last week, it was a Mazda MX-5 in gravel rally spec. And this time it is, drumroll, a VT Holden Commodore in gravel rally spec. How good is that? LS1 motor, a bunch of other go-fast bits, Intercom, TerraTrip, and once again, a Lights Pod. It's the Lights Pod that always gets me, Stefan. I just can't help myself <laughs> when I see a bunch of lights strapped to the bonnet of a rally car. So I reckon on my way to Bathurst tomorrow, I'm going to swing past Penrith, fork out 27 grand and arrive at Mount Panorama in style. And it might be handy. I mean, they're talking about a lot of rain at Bathurst tomorrow, so it might be pretty handy uh, to have a rally car if the car parks are as bad as they were last year. So this could work out very well for me, I reckon. Now, what caught your eye on my105.com? You might need to swing past the gym on the way through as well and, and get those biceps going because uh, yeah. <laughs> wrestling such a big rig through a gravel rally <laughs> stage doesn't look like an easy job. I'm actually going to join you in the rally scene though this week, Ooh. but with something a little more iconic as a rally car, I've right. got to say as well as Ford Escorts, which have come up every now and then on this pod, I've always loved Datsun 1600s. Ooh, and yeah. one has popped up for sale down in Geelong at the moment. The seller's moving it on after 30 years of ownership. So yeah, there's a chance to grab what is becoming a bit of a rare machine these days. Yeah, absolutely. I th- that would be a very fascinating three-car team. You know, my two, my MX-5 and my <laughs> VT Commodore and your Datsun 1600. We just need another driver. Who's a good rally driver? Who could we get to come and drive for our team? I think we'd, uh, the, the trick would be to have a bad rally driver so we don't uh, get absolutely smoked. Yeah, right. Well, we'll just put him in the slowest of the three cars, which I genuinely have no idea what it would be because I have no idea what a Mazda MX-5 or a VT Commodore would be like <laughs> as a rally car. But anyway, so we can save this discussion for probably not when we're podcasting. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Jorge Martin triumphed in a weather-affected Japanese MotoGP race. He won both the sprint and the Grand Prix itself, which, which ran for just 12 of its scheduled 24 laps due to a classic Japanese downpour. Francesco Bagnaia finished second to hold on to his series lead by three points, while Marc Marquez scored his first podium in almost a year with third place. Jack Miller finished sixth. Oitanic delivered a rallying masterclass to win the Chile WRC round for M Sport. Imagine if he'd been an MX-5 or a VT Como. Uh, while Toyota <laughs> put a third consecutive manufacturer's title beyond doubt. And Ryan Blaney booked a spot in the final eight in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs with victory at Talladega. It was a photo finish with Kevin Harvick. However, Harvick was later disqualified when his car failed post-race scrutineering. Kyle Busch, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain and Tyler Reddick are on the elimination bubble, heading into the final race of the current playoffs round. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Jack Palmer asks for our thoughts on supercars joining the Bathurst 12-hour as the season opener. Now, this is a reference to the ongoing question marks over the Newcastle 500 and the idea that should Newcastle fall over, supercars could take a high-profile event it already owns and use it as a high-profile start to the supercar season next year. 
Personally, I don't love racing at Bathurst twice in a season. I know we did it in 2021 out of necessity when the 12-hour basically became the Mount Panorama 500. At the time, Supercars was very clear that that was a one-off. I do fundamentally understand how and why it would be seen as an option, given it is a Supercars-owned event, but I personally hope that either Newcastle stays or there's another solution that preserves you know, the feeling that we all get this week when we finally get to Bathurst and how exciting that is to be there for that one time in the year that we go there to watch supercars driving around. That's my take on it. Stefan, are you a more or less racing at Bathurst kind of guy? Oh, I certainly agree that uh, supercars racing at Bathurst should be a once-a-year thing. That uh, Mount Panorama 500 did have a really weird vibe to it. Didn't do uh, much for me, to be honest. And I think the 12 hour is such a great event in its own right. It'd be a shame to to mix them together and, and confuse it all up. But yeah, it, it would be an imperfect solution, let's say that, for the supercars opener to be on the 12 hour weekend. It's um, certainly not ideal, but uh, yeah, if Newcastle doesn't get up, they are in a bit strong. The only way I'll back it is if like the first round of the supercar season is the 12 hour, like not on 12 hour weekend. You have to be in the race. That would and be like, huge. That's, that's and make, it. make it a pro-am as well. Good, good plan. Good plan. One, there's no bad ideas at this point, Stefan. Um, I think that's, you have to be in the 12 hour, 300 points on the line. You just got to, that, that's, I could get around that. I would give that a go. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. I'm going to hand my Castrol Star to a little collective, including Repco, Andy Raymond, and our good mate Grant Rowley. They made a ripper old-school Bathurst intro video that has Rowley's retro fingerprints all over it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, if that can't get you into the mood for the Bathurst 1000, nothing will. It is some belting pre-Bathurst content, so well done to those guys. That is definitely Castrol Star worthy in my book. Stefan, who gets your Castrol Star this week? Yeah, that's a, that's a great choice, Andrew, and it was uh, very cool to see how well-received that was yesterday when they rolled it out, a brilliant concept, but very well executed, which is uh, definitely the challenge with those things. For my star of the week, I'm also tipping my hat to one of our media colleagues and giving mine to Richard Crail, who I'm sure as many of our listeners saw, he's recently launched his own race team in partnership with his friend and uh, accomplished racer, Asher Johnston. So I'm looking forward to seeing the Johnston Crail Racing Enterprises Aussie racing car on the track next year with Asher at the wheel. That will definitely be a bit of fun to follow along, no doubt about it. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.